All right, well, welcome this morning. Glad you're here and glad for those who are joining us online. Take your Bibles, if you will, and open up to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And uh, just hold your place there. We'll read our text in just uh, a couple of moments. Have you ever been uh, in one of those uh, seasons of your life where things were just pretty good for you? You know, you feel good physically, things are going well in your work or with your family, and maybe your family's even relatively sane. It's one of those kind of seasons. You're serving God and you're enjoying it. Your personal spiritual life is thriving and you feel closely connected to God and to His will. You're growing and you're hearing God and you're aware of His Holy Spirit and His Holy Spirit's work in your life. And if you look at that season, you say life is good. God is good. You're making progress for Him, and you have a growing desire to live for Him and please Him. And it just seems like it's the way it ought to be. And then, seemingly out of nowhere, a hammer drops, and it scatters your heart. It changes your world, at least for a time. It throws your mind into confusion And spiritually, you go from what you thought was a position of strength to now a position of weakness. And it can happen overnight, just like that. Along comes a thorn, and that thorn changes everything. Well, this is the testimony of the Apostle Paul in the passage that we're going to look at today. And frankly, aside from... uh, Uh, the teachings of Jesus Christ, there there is no one in the New Testament that understood life in the Spirit better than the Apostle Paul. And, um, And yet Paul says in the passage we read today that he was harassed, and he was harassed in order to further teach him how to continue to live life in the Spirit. I want you to stand with me if you're physically able to do so. I want us to read our text And then I want to share some thoughts with you today about what it means for God to use a thorn to help us walk in the Spirit. In verse 7 of chapter 12, 2 Corinthians, Paul says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak then I am strong. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for the reminder that Paul gives us here in 2 Corinthians that life in the Spirit is not free of the harassment of the thorns that are often sent our way on purpose. And Father, like Paul, let us learn the lesson of the thorns in our life. And Father, cause them to cause us to more deeply rely on you, knowing that when we are weak, then we become strong. Speak to us this morning from your holy word. Teach us something new. Transform our life 
and send us out, Father, to continue walking in the power of the Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. Now, you've heard me say this enough over the years, but it is always worth repeating, and that is to properly interpret a text, you must understand the context. You must understand why what you've just read, why that was said, or why that is being stated. And in this case, the context for what we just read, verses 7 through 10, is actually verses 1 through 6, and they provide the setting under which Paul's thorn emerged. You see, Paul talks about a man, he says, and he's talking about himself. Uh, I don't know of any scholars that disagree. He's talking about himself in verses 1 through 6, and he says, I know a man who was taken up into the third heaven, and he saw things, spiritually speaking, that were beyond his ability to describe to anyone else. He saw things that are glorious and wonderful, incredible, but he didn't know how. They were so incomprehensible, he didn't know how to explain them. However, they were the kinds of experiences that could have easily caused someone to develop a great deal of spiritual pride and a spiritual arrogance. You know, the kind of thing where he, Paul's own flesh might have said, well, you know, you had that experience with God, but let me tell you about my experience with God. I was taken up into the third heaven. I saw things that no other uh, person has seen. So if you want to compare spiritual notes, my notebook is thicker than yours. And it was that kind of thing, and God knew that. God wanted Paul to experience and have that encounter, but he didn't want that encounter to change who Paul was in the Spirit. And so uh, along comes a thorn. And that's the context from which the, this story, one of the most, I guess, uh, um, repeated phrases in the New Testament, well, that's just my thorn in the flesh, or we sometimes hear it this way, a thorn in my side. But it comes from this idea, this biblical idea that Paul had, uh, that he expresses this thorn. Now, frankly, it is ludicrous for a believer to assume that as long as we're walking in the Spirit, and that's what this series is about that we're in, as long as we're walking in the Spirit, we're never going to encounter harassment or we're not going to be humbled. In fact, the truth is, if we do not remain humble, if we try to walk in the Spirit, we can actually develop a kind of pride that undermines this whole uh, uh, principle of walking with God and walking in the power of the resurrection and walking in the, the living presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. So here's what God does. He allows thorns to prevent pride and to preserve our dependence upon Him. Now think about it. This thorn was not because Paul was proud. It was to keep him from becoming proud. Does that make sense? It was preventative in nature. And with that in mind... I'm going, to do, I'm going to give you two statements here that are very important about thorns, and then I want to show you three things that thorns teach us from this passage. The first thing that I want to say to you is that there are thorns that are authored in hell. There are thorns that are authored in hell. Did you notice in verse 7, we don't talk about this often in this passage, but he said it was a messenger of who class? Satan. A messenger of Satan was sent, he said, to harass me. Now, we don't know what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. Some believe it was an eye ailment, uh, and there's reason to believe that is possible. Some believe that he was under the constant attack of his critics, 
And you see, we, we could put that together. If you look at verse 10, he talks about uh, being insulted and, and those sorts of things. So that's a possibility. Uh, others think it was some kind of chronic illness. Whatever the case, most scholars all agree that this was a physical thing more than anything else. And the reason being because he says, he makes a statement, given to me in my flesh. And when he says flesh there, he's not talking about what we recently talked about when we say the flesh or the world system. He's talking about his body there. And he said, so I had this ailment, whatever it is, it was given to me in the flesh and, uh, and, and it was to harass me. Literally in the Greek, that word means to pummel. He said, this thing that was given to me, this thorn, was to pummel me. Mike, it was just something he just kind of keep on beating uh, on you. Have you ever had something chronic like that? And you thought, I just can't get rid of this. It just nags me all the time. Well, that's kind of the idea here, that, that this messenger was uh, from Satan, and it was a beating on him all the time. It was just something he was constantly having to deal with. Now, again, what kind of thorn? We don't know. And actually, that's secondary to the fact that the thorn was there and that it is identified as a messenger of Satan. Now, that statement there bothers some people. I hope it doesn't bother you. I met, why would God uh, uh, give a messenger from Satan, you know, to, to, uh, to be an instrument of spiritual development in his life? Paul didn't have a problem with it. He saw no need to try and explain or justify why God would allow the devil to be this instrument of spiritual discipline or development in his life. You see, the fact is there are times in your life when there is a thorn and its source is from hell. It's from hell. It's not from God in the sense that God says, I'm sending this thorn into your life. God is going, and the second statement will make a sense out of that. It's going to give you perspective, and here it is. Thorns are allowed by heaven. You see, whether it's birthed in hell or initiated by God, in all cases, thorns are allowed by heaven. Does that make sense? So in some cases, it may be a direct attack by hell itself. But even at that, it is allowed by heaven. It is allowed by God. Only God can allow it. Paul needed a thorn to keep him ever mindful that he was no better than any other man. And he was totally dependent upon God despite his indescribable spiritual experiences. Thorns are allowed by God regardless of whether it is a direct initiated thorn by God saying, I've got to bring some discipline into your life or I've got to bring some correction into your life or I need to use a, 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 a something to bring some direction into your life. God sometimes does that. But sometimes he allows the devil he allows the devil to harass us and beat upon us, and he says, but I'm going to use that. Because the devil, listen to this, can never harass you without permission from the Father. You see, you have this filter, Christ, the Spirit of God is a filter, and before the enemy can attack you, the enemy has to go through the Father filter. Think about it in jo uh, uh, Joseph's life in Genesis. You remember the story of Joseph, right? Thrown in the pit, eventually ends up in the palace. And years later, his brothers come to him. And uh, when they realize what's going on, they fear for their life and everything. Do you remember that great statement that Joseph made to his brothers? He said, you meant it for evil, but God intended it for good. 
God took the evil and he turned it for good. You remember the story of Job, right? Job, uh, a righteous man, and, and if you read early in the chapter, the devil comes to, to God. Why? He has to. He's still, he may be the prince and power of this world, but he still has to, to answer to God. And one day he's going to answer for all of his antics. But he went and he said, God, he said, let me harass, let me harass Job and he won't serve you. The father filter. And then in the New Testament, do you remember what Jesus said to Peter? He said, Peter, Satan has sought to sift you like wheat. But he said, I've prayed for you. And he said, on the backside, he said, you strengthen your brothers. You know what uh, Jesus was saying? Satan has sought permission. He sought permission. Now listen to me. There are thorns birthed in hell. There are thorns sometimes initiated by God. But all thorns are allowed by God. They are allowed by him or they couldn't happen. And there are those occasions when, when we need those thorns. So thorns, as unpleasant as they may be, are really given to teach us at least three vital truths about life and the Spirit. I want to give those to you. The first truth is this, that thorns teach us to recognize the purpose of God. Verse 7, keep your Bibles open, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. Thorns teach us to recognize the purpose of God. This is an acknowledgement of purpose behind the thorn. Paul's saying, to keep me from becoming, I know why. He said, I, I know why God allowed it. I, I know why God allowed uh, the enemy to beat upon me. It, it was to keep me from becoming spiritually conceited. It is an expression of purpose. Listen, it isn't an expression of joy for the thorn. Paul's not saying, I'm so happy I have a thorn. I'm so glad God allowed the devil to harass me with a thorn. I, I'm so glad for that. This is not... Uh, uh, an affirmation of the thorn, it is an understanding of the purpose. Happiness about a thorn is not a requirement to find purpose in the thorn. Does that make sense? Paul asks that the thorn be removed three times. Paul wasn't happy about the thorn. He, he wasn't saying, this is, a, this is one of the great joys of my life. You don't have to be happy about a thorn to discover the purpose behind the thorn. So we have to learn that God is behind every thorn. God doesn't waste pain, and God has no useless thorns. Let me ask you this morning, are you dealing with some kind of thorn? If you're not, you will be. But maybe you are right now. If so, have you sought to know the purpose for the thorn, or have you just sought God to get rid of it? I want to tell you, I think our default is often, God, take it away. God, take it away. God, don't, don't let this storm happen. God, don't let this sickness happen. God, don't let this, um, this discipline happen in my life. Just take it away, God. I think that's the the default, don't you, that we just normally kind of default there. Uh, but my question to you is, have you sought to know the purpose of the thorn instead of just seeking God to remove the thorn. There are a couple of reasons that you can know that God has purpose in your thorn. The first is because God's not capricious. Now, do you know what that means when I say God is not capricious? It means he's, uh, he doesn't act on a whim. 
That, that means God isn't making things up as he goes. You might say it this way, God doesn't fly by the seat of his pants. Have you ever heard that, you know, kind of spontaneous, hey, I, I think I'll do this, or I feel like doing this. God is not capricious. Uh, he doesn't just act like that. He's not operating without purpose. And because that is true, it means that all that he allows in your life has meaning and purpose. And if you'll learn that, it will help you the next time you're battling a thorn. It won't make you happy because you've got a thorn, but it'll help you understand God has purpose. You say, well, pastor, is it wrong to ask God to take it away? Well, Paul didn't think so. He asked three times. I'll come to that in just a moment. He, did, he didn't think it was, a, uh, was an offense to ask God, but he was listening and God was able to speak to him and say, no, Paul, I'm not going to do that. God did answer him, right? And it's okay to say, God, take the thorn away. But, God, but, but the bigger thing we must understand is that God has purpose in the thorn. And God may take the thorn away uh, when we recognize the purpose, and he may not. But the purpose becomes more important than the pain. And so God is not capricious. He doesn't act on a whim. But let me tell you a second reason that you can know God has purpose in your thorn, and that is because not only is God not capricious, listen to this, God is not malicious either. God is not mad at us. God is not wanting to get even with us. Listen, listen, if God wanted to get even, God could get even. If God said, I, 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 wanna, I, I want revenge, God could get revenge in a heartbeat. If God said, I want to get even because of how they've treated me or how, or how they've refused me or rejected me, God could do it with a breath. But God is not malicious. No, God is not slow concerning his promise, Peter wrote, but is patient toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. All of the, his mercy is new every morning. His love endures forever. God is not mad at us. I love the way Max Lucado said it some years ago. He said, listen, God is actually crazy about you. In fact, if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. It really is true. God's not mad at us. God uh, loves us uh, incre with incredible love, with an everlasting kind of love. So he's not malicious. Thorns are not because God's trying to get even, because God is mad. He is instead looking, listen to this, to enhance our relationship of dependence upon him. He loves you so much, he wants the relationship to get closer and closer and closer and closer and closer. And so there are thorns that come along. And the thorns are designed with purpose. And the purpose, in part, for every thorn is to draw us into a deeper dependence upon Christ. That's life in the Spirit. Everybody, well, I guess everybody, at least where we live down here, knows about oysters. And uh, I, I, had a, I had a long period of my life where I loved oysters. I Actually, I still do love oysters. I, I, my wife just uh, convinced me through too many documentaries not to eat anymore. But I loved them. I loved oysters and chili dogs, you know. Down here, that's a, that was kind of a staple for years, at least, for many. 
And, uh, but, you know, oysters um, have a hard shell, and you have to chuck them, and uh, that, that shell is to protect them. And, uh, but sometimes um, a, a small grain of, of sand will get in an oyster. And, uh, you know, they tell us that when that sand gets inside the shell of an oyster, it causes a lot of pain and discomfort to the oyster. Now, I, I'm going to be perfectly honest. I don't know how many oysters they interviewed to find that out. But at least that's what they tell us, that that grain of sand becomes an irritant and a pain inside of that or, uh, oyster. And God has given the oyster uh, a weapon against that sand. And when that sand gets in there, the oyster will ooze a liquid over that uh, grain of sand, and it will cause the grain of sand to harden. And the more it hardens, the less painful it becomes to the oyster, and it will continue to coat that, and continue to coat that, and continue to, to coat, coat that. Well, you know where I'm going with that, don't you? Because uh, when it's harvested, guess what? And you open it up, you find something beautiful and valuable. We call it a what, class? A pearl. Well, the same thing happens to us. A thorn comes along in life, and it causes a lot of irritation and hurt and maybe even pain. But instead of removing it, God wants to cover us with his Holy Spirit and transform the pain with divine purpose, making us something valuable and beautiful for him. I heard a verse in a song recently that said this, if I'm not dead, then God is not done. Greater things are still to come. Isn't that a good line? If I'm not dead, God is not done. God gives us thorns because he is not finished with us yet. And the thorn is useful to keep us connected to the unfinished task and business of God in our life. So we have to understand that the thorns teach us to recognize the purpose of God. But secondly... Thorns teach us to relax in the grace of God. I love this. Thorns teach us to relax in the grace of God. Look at verse 9. He says, For he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. Now, Paul's request was earnest. In fact, it was intense. In the Greek, when he says, I pleaded, it notes the intensity of his prayer to God. I, he earnestly sought God. He didn't just say, God, this thing is irritating me. This thorn, you know, God, it doesn't have to be there. God, would you just take this away? How about taking this away? That's not the idea. It says he pleaded. It is an intense uh, a pleading with God. Oh, God, please remove this. God, take it away. God, it creates pain in my life. God is so difficult. That's the idea. It's an earnest uh, a petitioning of God. And, it, 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 and with it, it implies that Paul had some, some very logical reasons to ask God to take it away. I, and we don't know what those were. We don't even know what his case to God may have been. But, but it might have gone something like this. Oh, God. This thorn, it's a messenger from hell, and it's beating upon me, God. God, you know it's an annoyance, such an annoyance, God. God, take it away. Take it away. 
Prayer number one. Makes logical sense. God says, nope. And Paul comes back, maybe later on, and, and he says, oh, God, you know that thorn? It's still there, God. And God, you know I'm out here serving you. And God, it is a distraction from the work. Uh, God, it is, it is, uh, I'm having to give attention to that when I could be giving so much more attention to the things that you want me to give attention to. God, don't you think you ought to take it away? That sounds logical to me, right? I mean, he's the Apostle Paul. He wrote half of the New Testament. God, look what I'm doing. And yet this thorn persists. It is a distraction from your work, God. I could do so much more if I were, weren't distracted by this thorn. And God says, nope. And then at some point later, he comes back again, and he says, God, do you, you know the thorn. The thorn, can we revisit the thorn, Lord? Uh, could we get you to take it away now, Lord? W would you remove it? Because, you know, God, uh, the more I live with this, the more weak I appear. And, and God... I appear sickly, and there are people who are watching, and they say, look how sick Paul is. Look, at, look how sick he is. And they watch, and, and God, it's just not a good, God, it's just not a good testimony for you. I mean, that sounds like a, a logical petition for Paul to bring to God. Uh, uh, God, it just, it makes you look weak because it makes me look weak. But God said, no, Paul. He, that, I, I'm not going to answer by taking it away. While Paul, listen, while Paul wanted God's deliverance, God wanted Paul's dependence. While, God wanted, uh, while Paul wanted God's deliverance, God wanted Paul's dependence. And Paul got it. Thank goodness. But he got it by understanding what God's answer was, and that is, my grace is sufficient for you. Now, what does it mean to relax in the sufficiency of God's grace? What does that mean, to relax? Okay, God, I, I get it. This, your grace is sufficient for me. I get it. What, what does that mean? That's, we, we've all heard that, and we, we maybe have even used that statement. Your grace is sufficient. What does it mean? Well, let me give you a, a couple of practical ways. Number one, it means stop worrying. Stop worrying. You can't change anything. Your worry doesn't change a thing. And and the sufficiency of God's grace means that you relax in His gracious provision and care for you. Your anxiety doesn't control the purposes of God. Paul said in Romans 8.32, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Stop worrying. The sufficiency of God's grace means that I relax and I say, God really is in control. He's in control of the thorns of my life. I'm going to relax and, and in the sufficiency of his gracious provision and care for me. I'll tell you a second thing it means. Not only stop worrying, but it means stop wrestling. Stop wrestling. You say wrestling with what? Wrestling to, to get your own way. 
wrestling to persuade God that you're already headed in the right direction and you want him to join you. Now, we're probably not that uh, bold in how we do that, but a lot of times what we do is we try to, to convince God that, that he should do what we want him to do because we've already figured out what's best for us. And so it is a form of wrestling to pull God uh, uh, down to our agenda when all the while God is saying, relax and join me in my agenda. That's why Jesus said that we should give up our burden, you remember that, and take on his burden. He said, my burden is light. Your burden is heavy. But he said, my burden is light. Come my way. Come my, follow me. Instead of trying to get uh, 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 me to follow you. Stop wrestling. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean in your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. The sufficiency of God's grace means stop worrying. It means stop wrestling, trying to persuade God. And then third, it means stop working. Stop working to earn God's favor. Stop working to earn God's love. Stop working to earn God's forgiveness. All of that is already contained in grace. Relax in his gracious, redeeming work, what he's already done for you, and receive it by faith. And listen, not only relax right now, <clears throat> chill out for the rest of eternity. It's taken care of. Relax in the sufficiency of his grace for your salvation. That's why Paul would write in Ephesians 2, 8, and say, for by grace you have been saved. Did you get it? Through faith. And this is not your own doing. Working for his favor and love. It is the gift of God. So stop worrying. Stop wrestling. And start, stop working and relax in the sufficiency, the all-sufficient covering of God's grace. Listen, let the thorn in your life remind you and you can't fix anything. But His grace is all you need to relax and live your life in the power of His Holy Spirit. God's grace within the believer can carry the believer through anything. In Paul's case, it was physical suffering. In your case, it may be physical or spiritual assault or attacks. But no matter what the thorn, God's grace is sufficient to see you through whatever it is. I read a story <clears throat> about a, uh, uh, a large sum of money that was given to a Roland Hill. And Roland Hill was charged with the task of distributing this money to a poor pastor and his family. And uh, the benefactor did not want him to know who it was, so he said, you just distribute it uh, to him uh, to make, care, make sure his needs are taken care of. And um, uh, Roland Hill uh, said the money was such an, uh, uh, an enormous amount that he didn't think handing it off all at once was wise. And so what he began to do was he would send an envelope periodically with words, uh, with the, the money inside, a, a distribution of the money, and a note inside that said, more to follow. A few weeks later, another envelope would arrive for this poor pastor with money in it with a note that said, more to follow. And this continued, this continued weeks after weeks after weeks after weeks after weeks with the same uh, uh, quantity of money and the same note, more to follow, more to follow, more to follow, 
more to follow, until finally uh, the sum had been entirely distributed. But those words, can't you imagine every time you saw that envelope, more to follow, more to follow. Now listen, somebody needs to hear this today. You can relax in God's grace. Relax. His grace is sufficient, and listen, there's more to follow, more to follow, more to follow, more to follow. I had a friend one time, he said this to me. We were talking about something. He said, you know what I've learned? God doesn't give tomorrow's grace today. Today, his grace is sufficient, and you can know that there's more to follow. But there's one more thing I want you to see that thorns teach us, and that is this, number three, thorns teach us to rely on the strength of God. Verse 10, you see it? For when I am weak, then I am strong. The Lord has more need of our weaknesses than of our strength. In fact, our strength is often God's rival. Our weakness is his servant because we draw on his eternal resources when we're weak. And when we draw on his resources, we show his glory. Man's limits, your your limits are God's opportunity. The the limits of your capacity uh, are, are God's opportunity. But your security is the devil's opportunity. If you live, say, I've got to be secure, I've got to be secure, I'm always trying to be secure, guess what? You give the devil a stronghold in your life to keep you in a state of constant insecurity and turmoil. But the limits, when you understand your limits and that your weaknesses exist, guess what? That's an opportunity for God to show his glory through you. And so along comes a thorn. Uh, A thorn to teach us just how weak we are. To teach us just how dependent we must be and to reveal the opportunity to see how strong God is. Listen, the weaker the believer, the more God can demonstrate his strength. Go back to verse 9 for a second. I'm going to show you something. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness. Look at this. So that the power of Christ Life in the Spirit, the power of Christ may, look at this word, rest upon me. I want to show you something remarkable. That word rest, circle it. If you take notes in your Bible or in your note sheet or whatever, write this down because I want to tell you what that word means. In the Greek, that word means tabernacle or literally to fix a tent upon. Do you know what Paul is saying right there? He's saying literally... When I'm weak, God tabernacles on me. God sets up his tent on me when I'm weak. God makes me his dwelling place. He fixes his residence upon my life. You see, the weaker the believer, the greater the presence of God to rest upon them. Like the the Shekinah, it's a picture of the Shekinah glory that dwelt on the, the holy tabernacle in the Old Testament where it would come down. You, you remember those stories? The glory of God would descend upon the tabernacle. 
And all the people saw it. They didn't say, look at that weak tent. They said, look at the glory of God. And that, my friend, is the picture that Paul paints for us. That in our weakness, God himself descends upon us in all of his glory. He tabernacles on us. He fixes his holy tent upon us so that his presence is seen and not us. That's why Paul would say, so when I am weak, then I am strong. And he said, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that the power of God may be upon me. The glory of God may rest upon me. The strength of Christ, the Spirit of God, fixes himself upon the believer. Even when that believer is weak, afflicted, going through insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities, Paul didn't say those things go away. He said those things represent my weakness. But in those things, the glory of God, the power of God, the Spirit of God sets his camp upon me. And that's what I will live for. So when the believer is weak, if he understands what I've just told you this morning, he's at his strongest. He's at his strongest because that's when the Holy Spirit of God rests most powerfully upon him. You know, most of the Psalms were born in difficulty. Most of the epistles were written in prisons. Most of the greatest thoughts of the greatest thinkers of all time had to pass through the fire. John Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress. Most generations today don't even know what that book is. But John Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress from a jail cell. Florence Nightingale was too ill to move from her bed, but there she reorganized all the hospitals of England. Semi-paralyzed and under constant menace of apoplexy, Louis Pasteur was tireless in his attack upon disease. During the greater part of his life, American historian Frank Parkman suffered so acutely that he could not work for more than five minutes at a time. And his eyesight was so bad that when he could write, he could only scrawl a few gigantic words on a sheet of paper, which would become a manuscript at that time. And yet, in those conditions, he contrived to write 20 incredible volumes of history. <clears throat> you see, sometimes it is the case that when God is about to make preeminent use of a man or a woman... First, along comes a thorn. God gives you a thorn in your flesh. God gives you a thorn to shape you. God sometimes gives you a thorn to break you. But he always gives you a thorn to empower you with the Spirit of God for living. I guess it's been... 12, 13, 14, 15 years ago, Tim, we went to Romania. You remember a couple of times we went to Romania? Took groups over there. We had a partnership with um, an Anglo church that was doing ministry, and uh, particularly in the Bucharest area, but outlying areas. We did 
uh, medical clinics and a number of things like that while we were there. And uh, during that course of time, I was uh, asked to take an evening and speak to, well, students and adults at a gathering at the University of Bucharest. And so we showed up that night, our group showed up that night and um, did a little, they did a little preliminary uh, music and then uh, I was to speak later on to, I don't know, there were probably, uh, I don't know, a couple of 300 people, massive, massive auditorium. And uh, so the meeting was long before the preacher ever got up to speak. And as I began, I, I clearly felt myself struggling to communicate. I, I, uh, I remember uh, how I felt I was laboring. I had a young girl, a college, a university student who was my interpreter, and I will tell you, I've, I've done that. I've spoken around uh, the world in different places with interpreters, and it's hard. It is harder than it, you might think. You have to meticulously articulate every statement and make sure it communicates with the audience. And so I'm speaking to them, and I feel myself struggling. And frankly, out in the audience, people are doing all kinds of things. They're doing, I think, nobody's listening to me. I felt a lot like being in church. No, I'm teasing. You are good listeners. But I thought, nobody's listening to me, and I'm struggling here in this interpretation. And I will say something, and every once in a while, instead of interpreting what I just said, the interpreter will turn and question me about what I said. I don't know, do you remember that, Tim? And she would turn, and I, and I would be, no, she'd say, do you want to say that? And I would say, Yes, I want to say that. She even questioned some of the theology of what I was saying. It wasn't her task. Her task was to interpret. But she would stop and ask me. And I would say, yes, that's what I want to say. And so this went on for two or three hours. No, it felt like that to me. But I remember standing up there and thinking, God, I just got to get through this. I just have to get through this and get done. And finally, I fumbled my way to the end of the message. I wrapped it up. I gave an invitation as best that I could, frankly, just wanting to be done to get down and get out of there. I felt like an absolute failure. I assumed that no one cared to respond in any way to the gospel that I had shared or, in particular, the invitation. And I walked down after it was over. The meeting was done. I walked over to where our group was, and I could see even they felt pity for me. You know how you can look at a person and they don't know what to say? It's like that was such a bad experience. We feel sorry for you. But then something incredible happened. As our people in the groups are all kind of getting up and about and kind of mealing about, I don't know, somewhere in the neighborhood, 15, 20 people uh, from the university setting there kind of circled around where I was to talk, and they started talking to me. And in the course of that conversation, I found out that eight people had prayed to trust Christ as their Savior. And I remember thinking, how, <laughs> how could that happen? That was horrible. That was a horrible presentation. And then I thought about the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 when he said, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit of God and power. And God reminded me, I tell you that to say this, 
Life in the Spirit is not about our strength. It's not about our abilities. It's not about our persuasiveness. You see, I guess I thought in that moment that the power of God was in the presentation. But God showed that it had nothing to do with presentation. But it had to do with the Spirit of God taking a weak, trembling, frustrated communicator and working through him. It is about our weakness because when we are weak, then God can show himself strong. So I say to you this morning, along comes a thorn. Allowed by God. Maybe born in hell, but allowed by God. And it comes along to weaken you in order that God himself can fill you. In order to empty you so that he can manifest himself through you and keep you dependent upon him. Life in the Spirit has thorns, but the thorns have purpose, and the purpose of God is matched with the power of God and the Spirit of God in your life. Will you pray with me? Father, I confess we do not like thorns. Um, and often, uh, Father, we, we want you to take them away because we just feel better without them. But we miss your purpose when you send a thorn and we fight it. Help us, Lord. There are people watching today. There are people in this uh, audience today that uh, have a thorn. And God, you have allowed that thorn. It may never go away, but it has purpose. Help them to see your great purpose. And Father, I pray that in that purpose, we might understand our weakness so that we can see your strength. And so we will boast. We will boast in the insults and the persecution, the suffering and the difficulties of life because when we are weak... That's when we're strong. And Father, I pray right now for any that are listening to my voice that have never put your tr their trust in you. They've never called out on the name of the Lord who loves them, who has plans for them. And if that's you listening to my voice right now in this room by live stream or television, I want to invite you to do something right now where you are. I would invite you to call out on the name of the Lord. He's waiting for you. He's been, he's been moving in your life to try to get you to call out. And even hearing this message today is a loving, compassion, gra uh, compassionate, gracious, merciful God saying, I love you, I love you, and I want you. And you can know him. Right where you are, call on him. Say something like this in your heart to him. Lord Jesus, I want you. I thank you for your love, your incredible love. I thank you for Jesus who died on the cross for my sins. I know I'm a sinner. But thank you for loving me, forgiving me, and, 
And by grace offering me salvation, I receive it. I receive it right now. And I desire you to be my Savior, Lord and Master. Lord, for those in this place or watching who are battling that thorn, let them rest in the sufficiency of your grace. Help them, to, help them Father, to recognize that in relaxing and resting in you, they have access to more power than they could ever imagine. Give them, Father, the awareness that the thorn can be an instrument of blessing in their life. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. Help us, Father, walk in the power of your Holy Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.